Merry Christmas from Rock and Roll Bedtime Stories. How are you? It's Brian. And yes, dropping a retold episode. This is our Christmas episode from 2020. It's a fun look at the origin of Christmas music and how Christmas music intersects with rock and roll. And then Murdoch and I count down our favorite Christmas songs of all time. Uh, thought it might be fun to have easy access if you're making a drive uh, on Christmas Day or on Christmas weekend and you need a little extra content, we've got it for you. So sit back and relax. Here is a flashback to December of 2020. It's Rock and Roll Bedtime Stories. You know about Christmas. Oh, yeah. What are your feelings on Christmas? Not, I don't want to diatribe, but just very quickly in like two sentences, how do you feel about Christmas holiday? Um, after having children, I really enjoy Christmas. But I, I, I don't know like how I... It was kind of a mixed bag, I think, growing up a little bit. And I didn't go to church, Brian. Oh, that's so right. The entire the entire thing. At some point, like I was maybe like a teenager or something, I was like, wait, so the baby <laughs> It's <You> connected. <laughs> it's like, where's this whiskey go? Like the whole thing. Like so it was just a, it was all a mystery. You know, so uh, so what I want to do today is I want to talk a little bit about uh, a, we'll talk about the history of Christmas music. We'll talk about where rock and roll uh, interconnects there. And then I, I will talk a little bit about some some random Christmas related rock and roll stories just kind of briefly. And then I want to spend some time with you uh, doing something a little out of format for this show normally where I, I asked you in advance to create a top five rock and roll Christmas songs list and yeah, so three minutes I mean, we, yeah no time. I, I knew and and i think we need to talk a little bit about our, about our backgrounds if you are new to this show or you haven't listened to other shows that, that murdoch and i have done throughout our uh, the history of our friendship we both worked in radio for a long time and i programmed radio stations that went 100 percent christmas music around the holidays yeah and i worked at Christmas at, at at companies that had radio stations that always flipped to all Christmas music, and I do remember even as early as like twenty years ago, right around two thousand, um, uh, I lived in a place and hearing "Wonderful Christmas Time" from Paul McCartney as I came out of the elevators, and I thought, I wonder what it would be like if today I just decided to like completely blow up this entire building if I have to hear that song again. <laughs> So the thing is, is like it's this wonderful time of the year, and and there's there's a commercial thing about it. And it's background music in doctors' offices, and there's all sorts of components to what how Christmas music becomes the soundtrack. And there's generally a vehicle, and then when you're anywhere near that vehicle, and it's 24 inch Rockford Fosgates blasting Christmas music out of its day, you know, Mazda trunk, just so no one can hear anything. It's it's a lot, but <laughs> but the thing is, is that you have to find a way to deal with it because it is sometimes thirty or forty five days nonstop, twenty four seven of Christmas music, yeah. and if you don't adapt to those things, you, you can go to a sanitarium. And so, so what, one way I adapted was like very quickly identifying the ones I liked, and those were the ones that I'd crank up in the studio, and the other ones I might just leave the volume down as much as possible. I and you know maybe we should also talk a little bit about the songs. 
that we don't like after we talk about the songs we do like. I don't want to step on something and say I don't like it and then find out that it's at the top of your top five. Um, but I think this will be a very interesting conversation. One thing I should say about my my personal history with Christmas music that you're describing here too is before I was in radio as a child, you know, I, I did grow up going to church. I did grow up in a, in a very religious household. And so there was a, first of all, Jesus is the reason for the season thing happening all the time, right? Is that the first time you've ever yeah. heard that phrase? Um, no, I've heard that before, my friend. <laughs> I've been around. I've been amongst you other people before. So, I, you know, there was that. And then there was, um, because of that, the music normally emanated from the church first, right? So, you you know, Silent Night, Away in the Manger, those sorts of things that what? came out of the hymn yeah. book. And then you layered on the pop uh, music that was created mostly. And I did a little bit of research around this. And we'll talk about it in a minute when we talk about the history of Christmas music. I mean, there's the sacred and there's the secular and the secular secular really starts to populate in like the thirties. So that's not actually all that old. And even some of these songs that we probably think of as being older, only really about, uh, you know, 80, 90 years old at this point. So, um, and you know what? That sacred music was still a big component of popular culture sure, because, sure. as as a you know as as a complete heathen, my family, <laughs> all of us, not go, we're all going straight to hell for never going to church, as I would be told sometimes as a kid. But I remember all those songs incredibly well. So all the the classical ones and the and the and even hymns. How, how many that, verses of Away in the Manger do you know? Man, I can't remember verses of songs that I write. So, but <laughs> it's like stuck inside of Mobile with the Memphis Blues again of Christmas songs. That's what it is. No, but but I remember the I remember those songs, and I guess that they were on television. You know, it's like you would see that, and then I, I do think because my parents listened to country radio. Oh yeah, I think that country radio in Embrace the '70s and sure. '80s played played that you know and and i'm sure instead i I don't know if people didn't i'm sure they did i mean those chris country guys were making tons of money then too um you know they made christmas records or whatever um so i i knew those songs growing up too and and they were different but yeah there's and there was a turn at some point. <laughs> That's so funny. So what I was going to say about that is that I uh, didn't know some of the things that you probably grew up thinking as core Christmas songs for a little while. And I remember at one point, my dad came home with this cassette tape that he gave me that was just one of those generic things that they call Christmas rock. And it was it was a bunch of studio musicians doing rock and roll versions of songs, um, but they weren't named as who the artist was. It was just a collection of these songs. And, and it opened with happy christmas war is over so i had no context for that song i heard it on oh. you know yeah which is super bizarre but i still remember some, like licensed music like cassette of other guys doing those songs yeah wow. yeah which is super crazy and then of course i went back and i i've obviously since become very acquainted with the original john lennon version of that song but i you know so this is christmas like i just never i'd never heard it before and uh so there i I think this is going to be an interesting conversation for that reason and i'm excited to have it but i I want to start with history of of christmas music in general how far back do you think it goes like would do you have any idea if you just guessed about you know sacred christmas music 
I, I'm about to tell you, but I wanted to, before we jumped, I wanted to tell you that one of my top five picks is kind of like that. I thought it was someone else's song. And once I found out it was someone else's, it was actually someone else's song. It blew my mind. Completely. Well, when we'll, when we'll talk about this, we're going to have to talk about versions. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. So how about I'm saying the 17th century? Um, fourth century, fourth century Rome is is thought to have thought to be where everything originated latin language hymns so what were the songs about do you know um i i well so i think they're being qualified by being about christ okay got it so this is still we're in the sacred version of this right yeah um he's the reason of the season but you're you're close though because what century did you say 17th. So, okay, in the 16th century is when you start to see songs that still exist today. So, 4th century, you might have something that's in Latin that nobody, that has not made it leap to the English language. But, the 12 Days of Christmas, God Rest You Merry Gentlemen, and O Christmas Tree, versions of those all emerged as early as the 16th century. So, I'd give you partial points if we were keeping points here. <laughs> all right. Okay. That's that's pretty incredible. Um, so, I, you know, I don't think we need to do a deep dive class on the history of Christmas music and how it all evolved, but I do think it's very interesting to look at some of the uh, more recent statistics around what has become considered a standard or has been really become part of like the caroling repertoire and what hasn't right and and what you know and again like i said some of these things were written in the 16th century and some of them were written in 1936 so there's like a pretty large uh swath of time that is covered here yeah sweet so what do you think i'm excited okay what do you think is the most performed christmas song currently um um, okay, okay. I, I have a. This is all. Let, let me explain that this comes from some ASCAP uh, yeah. numbers. So if okay. you don't know what the ASCAP is, it's the American Society of Composers, Authors, and Publishers. And there is a great quote from Paul Williams, who's the president and chairman back in 2015, it may still be, who said, The world may have changed profoundly over the last 50 years, but these songs have been a part of the holiday spirit for generations. Part of the wonder of music is how it helps us to continue to create real memories and traditions. And as cheesy as that is coming from the guy from ASCAP, there's some truth to that. And so this is what are the songs, according to ASCAP, that you know people are, are paying to perform form really i'm gonna bet that number one is white christmas it's not because i think ah. I, w- I think i would have said white christmas would be in the top 10 and it's number 11 oh weird okay so now i want to hear the list so do you have any other stabs at number one I will. Um, I will say as a clue that no, it's not what I would have guessed, but it is one that has a classic rock presence in a pretty major way. Oh, um, I could give it away by doing an impression. No, no, no. I don't know. I, I don't know. Hey, Clarence! Uh, hey, Clarence! Back to our Santa. Uh, close. Santa Claus is coming to town. <laughs> <laughs> it's got to be in part. It's, it's got to be in part due to Bruce Springsteen, right? 
Yeah, and yeah, and and that that song came out uh, in in the middle of Born in the USA insanity. Well, uh, yeah, and do you and realize I, that I remember, it originally I, came I out being on, on the radio? It originally came out on a Sesame Street compilation. Yeah, they went yeah, back and put it like in the middle of that Born in the USA pandemonium. They went, they made it a B side. But it originally came out kind of as a, this throwaway thing that he did um, as oh, a live oh, version. Oh, oh. Uh, okay, so it was recorded in seventy-five. Philadelphia? Is it Philadelphia? Where, like where he performed it, or what it's on? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I was just guessing. I, yeah, I actually don't know where he performed it at. But it was recorded in seventy-five, not issued until eighty-one, and it was part of a Sesame oh. Street comp. Oh like, yeah! Remember now when? Remember. remember when Sesame Street pulled that kind of power? <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> and then it was re-released in '85, so it had a ten-year lifespan. By the time it was released as a B-side to My Hometown, uh, it was ten years old. The recording itself was ten years old. Yeah, and Clarence smokes on that song. Yeah, is, the, is it that one or is it one of the other Springsteen live Christmas things where he's like, hey, Clarence, where he's like yelling at Clarence at the beginning? Or, yeah, that's it. That's it. Okay. And it's, I, I think it's a long track too, but I can't remember. Oh, man. Okay, we, so, we used to play that. It would go on forever. And that's another, that's one I got really sick of. And if it's on your list, uh, don't tell me. Um, I don't hate it, but that version of it is so like specific and so over the top in its cheesiness because, I mean, it was part of a Sesame Street thing. Um, that it is like a little hard to listen to. Yeah. You could also smoke cigarettes when it was on too. If you could step outside. Oh, as a radio person, that's an important thing to clarify for people is that there is, there are songs that you learn in radio when you're having to be in the studio about how long things are and whether or not you could hit the bathroom or hit a, get a cigarette outside or whatever. Um, okay. So I found that really interesting. Here are the other songs on the list. Is blue Christmas Elvis blue, blue Christmas is number 17. Okay, I want you to read because all my guesses are going to be terrible. So number one is Santa Claus is Coming to Town. Number two is Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas, which makes okay. sense to me. I honestly might have guessed that at number one. Number three is one of my personal favorites as far as just a song to sing around the house, uh, but I don't think I would have thought it was this high on the list. Winter Wonderland. Well, a song that I care so little about, I don't even think about it that much. Wow. Oh, man, I do because... Uh, in the meadow, we could build a snowman and pretend that he was Parson Brown. I always got very confused by this verse because so the premise of that verse is that you're with a lady and you're like, you know what we could do? We could make a fake minister marry us right now just for funsies. Yeah. It's a super bizarre thing to put in. And as a kid, I was really trying to unpack why are you making this snowman be a preacher? Like, I was just so very confused by that living with a preacher, right? And knowing that parson was a term for preacher. And I was like, I don't understand why they're making a fake preacher out of the snowman. And are they going to? And then you're like, you know, like that creeping sense of like, there's more to this than kissing that you have when you're like eight or nine, 10, and you're like trying to figure out what, what's happening. And that's why you're repulsed by all that. Like, maybe they take their clothes off. Yeah. I remember being a little bit weirded out by. Winter Wonderland because of that factor, which is totally ridiculous. 
And now thinking about it, doesn't it make you feel weird that like that that whole put on thing about like, hey, let's pretend we're married and there's a snowman. And if she tried to do that, he'd be like, go back into the kitchen <laughs> and make me more breakfast. You don't get to make decisions. Especially in, in 19, 1934. I mean, right. So right. that's that's in the Depression is when that song is written. Um, yeah. Number four is Let It Snow, Let It Snow, Let It Snow, which it makes sense. It's kind of in that same. A lot of these. This this there's so many of them. Oh, my God. It's just there's so many of them. <laughs> this chunk is all written basically between like 1930 and 1960. Like most of these in the top 10. So then you have uh, the Christmas song is number five. Chestnuts roasting. Did you know Mel, Tor- Mel Torme wrote that? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's uh, that's um, he used. Didn't he used to do. Um, little one-off things where he would show up and be in an episode of Night Court. Did that happen? Do you, coming I, I coming up on a future rock and roll bedtime stories. <laughs> we will get to the bottom of whether or not Mel Torme was on Night Court. <laughs> Guys, please don't go anywhere. Um, yeah. Okay, so uh, that's Jingle Bell. Oh, no, no, no. That's Christmas song. Number six, not Jingle Bells, Jingle Bell Rock. Jingle Bell Rock is number six. Yeah. Hey, real quick. I just want to say this uh, out loud. Mel Torme made eight guest appearances on Night Court. (laughs) Mel, Mel, who was a famous jazz singer and Harry Stone's personal idol, is known for such classic as Jeepers Creepers and The Christmas Song. Wow. Eight times, dude. That's how I know who Mel Torme is. And that's how I know he wrote that song. I forget about the cult of Night Court, too. Like, that's not a show I don't think I've, I don't think I've ever watched it. Uh, but I know about it, and I, I, re- I recognize and remember some of those key characters who were very... The visual on them is, is very memorable. Um, but I was... You know, I've talked before on some of our shows about my love of this show Red Oaks on Amazon and there is a joke in a re- in an episode I watched recently of Red Oaks where because it's placed in the middle of the 80s they made sure to drop a night court reference in it and I was like man that that was really a thing for some people yeah and Marky Post was really cute for a, a young impressionable teenage boy like me and what I thought was amazing is someone snuck, I guess well she did or someone else did snuck a picture of her out of the White House where she's 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 staying in the White House like when Clinton's in the White House and she's jumping up and down on one of the beds in the White House. It's a picture of her in midair. Uh, and I was like, wow, that is the best picture ever. <laughs> Marky Post. <laughs> You know, what's really fun now is that when I put post this episode in the tags, I get to put Marky post. Yeah, absolutely. And night court. So next on the list, Uh, it's the most wonderful time of the year. That's number seven. Mm, I love that song. At number eight is Sleigh Ride, which I enjoy. And then you can do that with like a with a with a kazoo, and it's a song <laughs> you can play on the radio during Christmas. It's how stupid. Well, and what's All interesting right. is is the, the version. It was written by Leroy Anderson in 1948, and the version we played most of the time when I was programming these radio stations was the Leroy Anderson version. So I mean, that's funny because I couldn't tell you anything else that Leroy Anderson did, but I know the name because I saw it so often come up when programming these uh, sets of music. Yeah, he probably didn't think about it either when he was on one of his boats <laughs> from this song. So, so how's your uncle Leroy famous? Uh, you know that song, Sleigh Ride. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, okay, so number <laughs> number nine is surprising to me because I, this song seems like such a novelty. But the 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 ninth most um, uh, performed song is is Rudolph the Red Nosed Reindeer. All right. All right, that didn't surprise me. And then number ten, when we're talking about composers, I didn't know that this was written by Meredith Wilson, uh, but it's beginning to look a lot like Christmas. I didn't know she wrote that either. No, yeah, uh, that's a great song. So yeah, Meredith okay. Meredith Wilson is a dude, and uh, Meredith no. Wilson wrote yeah 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 Meredith Wilson wrote the Music Man. Oh really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's how I know Meredith Wilson because I have this weird affinity for the Music Man, which is probably another episode. But I love the Music Man. And yeah. I, if I if I can if I can bring a cardboard cutout for me for the Music Man episode, <laughs> I, <laughs> I had to I had to do I had to do lights I had to do lights during it during it in high school, and it just everything about it was like waiting for Guffman, but like. You know, on the on the brown acid, everything was just terrible, and I never I never got over it. I never watched it again. I'm just picturing it, logging on here and being like, "Man, Murdoch seems really lifeless." <laughs> it's just like you with a big grin on your face, <laughs> cardboard cutout. Um, I, so, when my daughter got into the Hamilton soundtrack, I was like trying to be some weird version of cool dad that wasn't cool at all and i was like you know what you need to hear kiddo is the music man a song <laughs> called marion librarian and uh she was not impressed and then she joined a choir program that's pretty esteemed around here and that guy who leads that choir made them all watch the music man and she came home and she was like you know what's great the music man and i was like get out of my house get out of my house <laughs> it's such a funny thing man yeah it's- oh that's great yeah. So, so yeah. there you go. And like I said, number eleven is White Christmas. I don't think we need to go farther than that. But I think yeah. that's an interesting setting of the table for what we're about to talk about in terms of um, our affinity for Christmas music. One thing I did want to do though, before we actually run down this list of songs, is talk a little bit more about rock and roll's intersection with Christmas music. And I know you mentioned, you know, if you're going to do this, you got to start at the beginning. So let's talk about the Beatles and their relationship with Christmas music. Oh yeah, man. So, uh, I don't know about you, but I discovered, I discovered the Beatles Christmas music by working at radio stations that had like Beatles shows. And then around Christmas time, they'd play the the Beatles Christmas records and they weren't records that you, you could buy on the consumer market. They basically determined the, uh, the management determined like, there's no way that they're going to be able to, uh, to answer all this fan mail like ever. So they thought, well, the best way to appease the the fan clubs, which were still a thing, and this was from 63 to 69. That's when they did those things. They sent out, they were like spoken and musical messages. So they'd be, you know, they'd say like, you know, Merry Christmas at all, you know, whatever. And then they would like sing little bits and pieces of, of songs. Um, yeah. And, but they were cute because... Well, you, I guess really you didn't get to hear them out of character of the, um, you know, the four, four, three minute like pop song of even though they were starting to get more once they stopped touring, they were making more interesting music and things that weren't about like from me to you and she loves you like it was tomorrow never knows and things got different, but they still kept making these things. And it was really the only way that you have to think that a lot of people knew what it was like to hear what it sounded like to 
to communicate with their favorite band. Um, and it was great, but it wasn't your typical thing because they didn't play those things on the radio. They weren't they weren't things that you played. They were just for the the fan club. And and only like Elvis really did it really big in '57 with his Christmas record with with Blue Christmas, and the Jordanaires and the background of that song changed the minors and the major changes to these these things that I can't remember even what they're called or whatever, but the notes then end up being called blue notes. So the whole thing is like an inside joke for music guys. Blue Christmas has blue notes in it. Oh yeah. Um, so, and um, you know, and if you like Elvis, he, that was the song that was recorded, you know, someone else wrote that song, but he made it into like a hillbilly rockabilly Christmas song. And yeah. That one almost made my list. It, it, it would probably be in a top 10 list of favorite Christmas songs, his specific version of blue Christmas. I don't like the song that much, but I like, uh, his delivery i mean it's it's very uh specific and, and kind of quintessential yeah so do you think that part of the reason uh paul mccartney then became wonderful christmas time guy is that he had just been having to repress his inner christmas spirit since the 60s and he was like it's 1979 you know what i'm gonna say <laughs> it's, so it's a wonderful Christmas, Christmas time. Yeah. Like it, it is. It's so funny to hear that, you know, it, and to, th- you know, I, when you, we started talking about this and I was like, you know, I never really realized that there isn't, um, a Beatles, the Beatles Christmas thing is like, it's a thing if you're a fan and you know about those recordings, but it's, they don't have something really in the lexicon, but Paul yeah. McCartney on his own a decade later does. And, and you have to wonder if that's not a reaction, but the, this whole uh, Beatles Christmas songs not being available. Like, I don't think people realize, do you know when they finally released those in a way that you could buy them? Um, Yes. Uh, I I didn't know this until like real before you and I got together to to talk about it. There was a compilation is all LPs um, that was put out for all seven of the records. And it was called from then to you in the UK and it was called the Beatles Christmas album in the US because we're stupid (laughs) (laughs) pronouns demonstrative pronouns a preposition and another pronoun those are four things we can understand but but this wasn't until 2017 they didn't release uh, these in a way that you could buy them until three years ago yeah, yeah. So that happened in 1970, but it was 2017. You're right when they actually came out, and there was that one. There was that version of Christmas Time because uh, I remember hearing that, uh, but I didn't know you could even. I didn't know this came out at all. So, so I mean, I think it's a goof. Like I don't think it's like anything that's really fun to listen to at all. But um, but yeah, I mean, but it was significant because. There wasn't 24-hour-a-day Christmas radio stations when this was happening. <laughs> right, right. I mean, it is – you know, we haven't talked about this, and I, the, again, not really the subjects that we normally dive into here, but there is something to be said about the commercialism of Christmas, right? Like, the yeah. idea of, like, why – there's not a lot of great rock and roll backstories around Christmas songs because it's basically just the label being like, listen, we all need to make money. Like, that's pretty much yeah. the reason for most of this stuff. But another band that did that really well uh, that we have talked about on the show before is the Beach Boys. I mean, they, they to me, when I think about classic acts having quintessential Christmas albums, that Christmas album has really had some power, um, you know, over the past 50 years. Yeah, and maybe I'll get to talk about the Beach Boys in a minute. I don't know. Possibly. Who knows? Okay, good. Maybe. Good. 
we'll, could be. We'll hold that to make sure that we I don't step on anything. Um, did you see? Uh, okay, so here's here's an interesting rock and roll uh, Christmas story. Do you know the 1990 ACDC Christmas song? Do you know what it's called? Uh, Christmas balls. I don't know what's it called. Oh, that's a really good guess. They, I, I guarantee you, at some point, that that Jingle song balls. was on the title or was on Jingle the table. Balls. No, okay. also a really good one. Uh, no, but it's called Mistress for Christmas. Do you do you know this? <laughs> no, I don't even know that song. So they. Oh my gosh! Angus Young told Guitar World in 1991. He wrote it about a particular celebrity. Do you want to take any guesses about who Mistress for Christmas was written about? And it's not written about. It's not written about the woman. It's written about a man who has this mistress, I suppose. Huh. Let me tell you that this person has has sustained significance, had a different sort of significance in 1990, has much more significance now, and a lot of people really not not fans of this person. Charlie Sheen. Okay. The using the clues, that was good, but no. <laughs> <laughs> Troy McClure, um, uh, Ted Bundy. I'm not sure. Donald Trump. Oh my gosh! Yeah, it's a song that Angus Young wrote about Donald Trump. Here it is. Jingle bells, jingle bells, <laughs> jingle all the day. I just can't wait till Christmas time. their new record it sounds like this <laughs> we have a mutual friend who's really into the new record and i just want to be like dude i appreciate you but aren't you just into every record because like there's no way that it's any different you know but uh brendan o'brien i think produced it just like he did the the one that came out at walmart whatever i didn't actually hear that one but so i listened to this whole record and but i heard an interview acdc was on all things considered on npr because it is 2020 <laughs> they're doing press they're doing press for this damn record oh my and, god uh, and they got plenty to talk about because Malcolm passed away and they dedicated the record to Malcolm and and uh you know there's 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 significant things they can talk about but when they were being interviewed one of the questions was it's more of a statement it was like we probably really need you right now and yeah, i thought it was a yeah. really great statement about like uh you kind of know exactly what acdc is going to sound like it's not like you're going to order a burger and you're not really sure what you're going to get. Yeah. Like it, it's it's going to be exactly the the same. Well, so. on on that note, I had I've had people ask me, you know, who is the classic rocker that you've met or spent time with, or musician in general who hit the best experience? And I always say, hands down, out of the many folks that I've interviewed or uh, dealt with in, in the entertainment industry for for performances or events or whatever, uh, Brett Michaels every single time and it's because it has the same sort of as a person projecting that this is exactly what you want 
Like, there's no, like, conflicted artist thing. There's no, it's just like, I'm playing this part. I am bigger than life, Brett Michaels, and just the kindest, funniest, nicest person. Now, that was years ago. Things may have changed, but that was always my takeaway, too, right? Was like, there is a certain thing about these guys, ACDC, and you wind that thread through some of that, that the pop metal stuff that didn't take itself too seriously. And there is just a, a performance thing that it, that you're like okay this is this is the job and I'm going to make sure that I'm as as easy and palatable as possible yeah and I think that goes along with one of the more important things that's happened in the last millennia um, something that is so significant that it made people turn their heads and think and that was Rock of Love with Brett Michaels that reality TV show yeah. that was unbelievable And but I don't know if, if, if that was the most amazing thing or the SNL skit that made fun of it where Rachel it wasn't Rachel Dretch it was uh, oh as Amy Fowler Amy Poehler would always play this girl who had one leg yeah, he's like, yeah. he's like, I'm rocking one leg. You yeah, what the was world. the name of that character? <laughs> I don't know, but Jason Sudeikis was uh, was was Brett Michaels. Um, oh man. So anyway, but hey, uh, so, are we going to get to our list? Yeah, 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 yeah. And, and that's where we're headed next. And I don't want to be distracted at all, but I do want to drop just because you brought up his name. Uh, if you've not seen Ted Lasso with Sudeikis in it. Oh my god, it's so good. It's it's oh, have, his finest work. Have, Please seek it out. I haven't seen, I haven't seen it. I'll have to definitely uh take a look at that. A lot of people oh, had told me about it and I was like, "Sure, sure. I don't know if I want to watch a thing about a coach." Uh it's it's not it's not about a coach. It's about so much more. It's so good. The writing's good, the acting is hilarious. It's it's great. Um, so, uh, who gets to go first? This I think is- you get to go first, man. Like, so this is what we're going to do for the rest of the episode. We're going to run down some of our favorite Christmas tunes and we'll talk, you know, personal anecdotes and, and historical info, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and then we'll decide. So do you think we need to have a battle to, to like come up with our ultimate top five and say what we're keeping on the list and what we're knocking off? No, I think we just put them together. We put them, the we put them together. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And I'm interested to see overlap because we have not shared these lists in advance. So this could be fun. Give me your number five. What is your number five on this list? All right. So my number five, I don't know how much I want to talk about it, but um, this song was written by a guy named, guy named Johnny Marks, who also wrote Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer and Holly Jolly Christmas. Uh, yeah. Um. And um, and so he I wanted to tell the story. He didn't write the song I'm going to actually tell you about. But so the song he wrote that ended up being the most successful his career in the oddest way is rocking around the Christmas tree. So when I was a kid, I had that Brenda Lee record. Yeah. And that Brenda Lee record has never, ever left my possession in one way or another if I've just had to get it in a different format or just rebuy it or whatever. And now I listen to it with every christmas with the kids and and i'm gonna lasso santa claus is the one i like off of there that's that came out in 64 and by the way there are two tracks in my top five from 1964 and another from 1963 by the way little miss dynamite um brenda lee was four foot nine and she was 20 years old when she sang that song wow Um, she sounds like a smurf because she was she was four foot nine yeah I'm gonna pull, pull, pull on his beard Pull, pull and see if it's 
trail I'm gonna take, take, tickle him on the tummy Because he laughs so funny He's so jolly and so fine It's a happy song Christmas time Man, that makes me so happy I've never heard that before Oh my gosh, really? Yeah. Oh man this is, I mean, like, I've had to listen to this song 20 times in a row, dude. I'm sorry that you have never heard this. Oh, man, that makes me happy. It reminds me a little bit of a song that does not appear on my list. A much, like, this is a much less annoying version of it, but um, the Gala PV hit, uh, I Want a Hippopotamus for Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> that is radio hell right there is answering the phone over and over and having people be like I want to hear I want a hippopotamus for Christmas and you're like listen your mom should not let you be using the phone right now uh, <laughs> you sound like the girl in that song uh, okay that's a that is a fantastic pick um, so when yours my my pick for number five and I really went back and forth on this but there just to me is very little um very little that beats Stevie Wonder at his prime. Yeah. And so I'm going with his version of uh, what Christmas means to me. Wow. What a great song. I don't think about this one enough, too. Oh, yeah. Candles burning low. Lots of mistletoe. Lots of snow and ice. Everywhere. So many people are like, dude, don't sing along. Don't sing along. Um, Stevie Wonder's version of this is just so joyful. But I honestly kind of came to it through, this is a little embarrassing, uh, the Paul Young version, which I still stand by, is actually really good. Paul Young put out some bangers, man. And that guy gets no respect. But he had a handful of hits in the 80s, including his version of this, that I, I totally celebrate, man. Um, I have a Paul Young 45, like within 20 feet of me here in this room. Oh, no, really? And I, I, yeah. And, and I've got every time you go away and then I've song. got, I'm going to tear your playhouse down. I have both of those. Dude. Every time you go away is such a great song. Fight yeah, me. It is. Fight me. Yeah. Okay. Um, let's see. What's your number four? Oh, uh, my number four was written written by Brian and Mike Lo- Brian Wilson and Mike Love. It was recorded October twentieth, nineteen sixty three. There you go. Uh, and it's just a ripoff of Little Deuce Coop, and it's Little Saint Nick comes in at two minutes. It's so super short. It's the first track on that Christmas album that came out in sixty four. It was the only song that was recorded outside of the rest of the sessions all the rest of the songs were recorded in june of 64 except for little saint nick so it was recorded the year before i wondered if this was going to show up in your list this is one when i think about my days running a christmas music station this is one i, I think about because it was short and it was fun and it, 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 it this merry christmas baby intro part priceless yeah Gets cold. There's a tale about Christmas that you've all been told, and a real famous cat all dressed up in red, and he spends the whole year working out on his sled. It's the little Saint Nick. It's the little Saint Nick. 
you think the Jingle Bell guy still gets royalties on that one? Because, I mean, it really wouldn't be the same song if it wasn't for those jangly bells. Yeah, I mean, the my, my next song has some very specific instrumentation in it that make it similar to to that song we'll do it do it we'll, you know, do, like, we'll do two at a time you're, you're leading you know, us in what, what's your next one what's number three on your list oh oh number number three on on my list is um christmas all over again by tom petty and the heartbreakers oh you have my number that's my number two yeah, so that so I knew we might have the same ones yeah. because of that. I I and, knew and that all, this was going to be the one. If we had one that we overlapped on, this was going to be it because this yeah. this is just quintessential me and you. This is our real overlap too. Right. Yeah. It's the piano. Yeah, yeah, it is. Well, it's Christmas time again. Decorations are on by the fire. Everybody's singing. All the bells are ringing out. And it's Christmas all over again. I mean, how I much do you miss I know the story about this song, too. What's the story? Um, so, uh, Jimmy Iovine had approached. Um, Tom Petty and said, "Hey, you should do do a song for a very special Christmas. I, got, I can get you, you know get you a track on it." And him and Mike Campbell both are Phil Spector Christmas album enthusiasts, and uh, so that's what Christmas sounds like to to Tom Petty. Said that's what Christmas sounds like to me. So we thought maybe if we did, we get like 18 guys and just cut it live. Is the funny thing is I wrote it on a ukulele. George Harrison had come by and given me a ukulele and spent a whole afternoon teaching me all the chords on it. It's a really cool instrument, though. I didn't. It doesn't have that image. I took the ukulele with me to my house in Florida in the middle of the summer and I wrote that song. When I got back uh, in the studio, we got this huge group and there's a video actually showing me at one point walking over to a group of musicians and teaching them the song, then walking over to another group of musicians and teaching them the song. We had a harp, a harp, a harpsichord, two drummers, two bass players, four acoustic guitars, just crazy shit going on. Um, and Jeff Lynn is actually on the track too. Um, wow. He plays bass bells, timpani uh and and sings because obviously it's a big chorus so i know that's i i thought you might be on your list uh, it's it's an, it's an all-time favorite and, and it's partly because it's unique enough to where it isn't just a rehash of a song that's been around for a hundred years um or more but it's also really sounds like petty like at yeah. the heart of it but also pays tribute and this is what petty's so good at right like he has this Petty sound, but he also really knows how to instill the history of rock and roll and the in the history of the South and you know the good parts of the history of the South, like just musically. Um, all of these things kind of in a blender, and, and it comes out sounding uniquely like him and the Heartbreakers. So yeah, man, I, I and I miss Tom Petty. I miss Tom Petty. Um, yeah, that that was a guy who was still putting out decent records all the way up until he died. I mean, you know, yeah. like, those are those are pretty good records uh, still. Yeah. Okay, so two in a row. I, you know, this doesn't quite break the rules, but it got really close. But this is an all-time favorite Christmas song for me. Um, and, I mean, it really doesn't need any kind of introduction. It's uh, the Drifters version of White Christmas. 
Oh, how pretty. Now, of course, given my age, it's hard to separate this version of this song from Home Alone. Right. And so so think about it. We just had a song in the countdown from a Home Alone movie. It was Home Alone 2. Now I have this song. It's from Home Alone. And if I had, had if I had chosen Rockin' Around the Christmas Tree instead of I Was Gonna Lasso Santa Claus, that movie, that song is in its entirety in Home Alone. Like that it song, it plays the entire song. So think about that, how Home Alone created a franchise of like very successful song Christmas songs it, it also um, somebody I heard this conversation also really tanked the aftershave industry it's like people really quit <laughs> quit wearing aftershave after that movie I just um, was thinking about that uh, so uh, number my number three then is another one that's a little less traditional but I mean this is one we would play around Christmas time on those Christmas stations um, and it is just it's everything I love about Chrissy Hind in one track um, it's 2,000 Miles oh wow great song Plus, it's got the slow fade up at the beginning, which is not something you hear a lot in rock and roll, which no. I really like. Mel Torme used to do that. Say, I feel like I'm at a concert. This is great. There, there are a, a plenty of other versions of this song, but no, I mean, Chrissy every time. Her, her vocal, I'm just such a, I, you know, we don't spend enough time talking about the pretenders in life or on this podcast, but I got to see that last tour, which is probably the end for them, I would guess, uh, a couple summers ago. And I'm going to try to say this in a tasteful way because this is a family show. But I'm looking at a woman who is the age of my mother, and I'm thinking, yeah, yeah, today, <laughs> today, tonight, totally. Like, my wife and I had that conversation before I went to the show. She's like, don't run off with Chrissy Hine. Um, But, I mean, just, oh, that, the performance in that song alone, in that whole, you know, it's also not on a Christmas record, like the way it was released, right? It ends Learning to Crawl, which is one of my all-time favorite albums, and what a way to end a record like it's just everything about it is is uh amazing so what's your number two we're getting down to the end what's your number two um so uh i'll tell you the the song that i i got a tape that someone made for me and it actually had it actually had something it said like uh rocking around no, it, there was like Jingle Bell Rock or something, and it said it was the Beatles, and it wasn't it. So someone made me like a Christmas tape. <laughs> Are you talking about a mislabeled mixtape? Because this is a whole subgenre of podcast that we could get into. I'm, it's a sideways tear. Yes, and then something else happens. So at the very end of the cassette, side two, last song, totally kicks ass. I've never heard this Christmas song before. It drives me crazy. 
and I listened to it and rewind it and listened to it over and over again. And um, because I, I wanted to learn how to play it. But on the on the cassette, it said on the label, it said, Merry Christmas, everybody. Oasis. And, and I tried like, you know, I, this was kind of before the, you know, the Internet really like you had a computer in your house to, to look for crap or look for MP3s or whatever. Um, but it was like a, it was a radio broadcast where it was like recorded off like on the BBC. But it's really a song by Slade, who everyone rips off. Thank you, Quiet Riot, for having a career. Thanks, Slade. But <laughs> Merry Christmas, Everybody by Slade is my number two. It's from 1980, which is great. heard that either that's amazing yeah it's what it's my so imagine i discovered this by thinking i was listening to a song that the the gal the gallagher brothers wrote but it was really it was really it was really off of a live bbc broadcast that someone had could like made and and dubbed off on something else and so it, and it was slayed you know what where that got taken to the next level was when uh napster happened and people would upload things for us several reasons and miss label them uh, sometimes mm. to hide that they were uploading them but sometimes just to mess with people right where you would think you were getting a hot new single and then you download it and just be like the background of a porn or something like there would just be like terrible things uploaded instead of what you were looking for um, yeah. but yeah even all the way back to the mixtape right it's like there was the, the the one that always comes to mind for me is and this is very uh, indicative of my age but when I was in college there was a version of gin and juice done by a bluegrass band do you are you familiar with this recording I am familiar with this all too much that I wish I wasn't. And so it got it got floated around on mixtapes and on Napster and such as being by a lot of different groups, including Leftover Salmon, Fish, yeah. um, a whole bunch of them. It turns out it was a group called The Gourds that nobody really ever listened to the gourds the rest of the gourds collection but they got, they got misrepresented as being fish for most of their careers for this really ridiculous but funny version of uh, gin and juice that floated around on the internet so there's that um okay so that brings us to number one for you and really number one for me right uh, because yeah. number two for me was Tom Petty, Christmas All Over Again. So I'm very surprised that there was not more overlap in this list so far. Do you want to go first with your number one? Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mine's from 63 from the Phil Spector record, which is what sounds like Christmas to me. And because every uh, Christmas I would watch David Letterman and like, you know, Darling Love would just walk on stage and like sing this with the band. It's the Christmas baby, please come home. That's my favorite Christmas song ever. And hasn't really changed ever. Christmas. 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 
knows, but it's so perfect that it really, one of us had to pick it. Like, it's just one of the most perfect. And for me, it's her version, right? When I said we were talking about versions, there's a lot of versions of this. Nobody gets close, and it's because of the arrangement and the Phil Spector thing and the fact that she is going from the first note she is going to town. Like there is, you know, my wife has always made fun of me about the real indicator of of music that I like has to do with how passionate I think the lead singer is being at any given moment. And that is, this is just the perfect case for that. (laughs) That's a great, that's a great, that's a great hot take on you. I think that's good. (laughs) That also also shows that you're really into the vibe of the room, man. But, but really, like, I, I, that might – I can't remember when that wasn't my favorite Christmas song. So it, it's just – it's stuck. I learned how to play that song on a guitar. I, it's a great song. It's a lovely song. So my number one is a little less obvious, and I'm not being obtuse. This is, this is truly – the song that I love the most from the holiday season. And I've so, got to say, so which, which, wait, wait, wait. I, I know you're not trying to be obtuse, but which Yanni Christmas record is it from? <laughs> the okay. third one. Sorry. That's how obtuse I'd be. Right, no. sorry. Um, so this, this really is uh, reliant on the video. Like in most cases, I would want these things to stand alone, but it's very important to me that if you've never seen this, that you Google this afterwards. And I know you have, but I'm talking to the general audience because I know you've seen this, but this came from an, a very early MTV special. So they used to do this thing and I'm sure you remember this and you could probably speak to it, but they used to do this thing where they would have like in the very first couple years, they would try to um, create this idea of like, oh, we all hang out, like all the VJs and the artists and, you know, really create this like atmosphere. And so they would, as part of that, they would do, they would film this like in the studio Christmas hangout. Do you know what I'm talking about? I think I know what your song is. I do. I'm so excited. It's, it's not, it's obtuse enough for me, man. If you think you've got this, what do you think is my favorite Christmas song? I think it's by Billy Squire. Oh my God, you nailed it! It's so funny, holy crap! You've never seen this video. I beg you to go find it. I mean, he's wearing a Santa hat. He's his guitar is not plugged in, and he's sitting in front of a bunch of teenagers on bleachers. And he's like, "Hey, from from me and MTV to you, baby, I love you." And then they play this, and they all like sway back and forth and sing. And it's it's where I want to live for the rest of my life. Just let me move there, get me a PO box, and I'm I'm good to go. That's that's all I need in my life. Christmas is the time to say I love you by Billy Squire. That's 100% number one. 
But if this podcast wasn't juicy enough for you and what we just told you about Brian's number one song, please look up the video for um, Billy Squire's Rock Me Tonight. And and that should uh, that should probably ruin the mood for the rest of the day. But Billy Squire, a real American treasure. Another person we probably need to put on the short list to cover on this podcast, because, uh, you know, for, for whatever career he had, he really made the most of it. Made quite the imprint. Um, I I owned uh, his Don't Say No record from probably when I was like 10 or 11 until like I like physically unloaded like an enormous amount of records. So like most of my life I had I've listened to my kind of lover, my kind of lover. <laughs> Don't Say No. Also, not really something you would name an album in 2020. <laughs> We're kind of past that point, regardless of genre. <laughs> Thanks, uh, Billy, for making our podcast awkward. Hey, man, thank you for this was more fun than I thought it would be. Like, I thought it would be a blast, but this was more fun. I can't believe we only overlapped once out of the top five. That's pretty impressive. That is. That's that's some yin and yang. I'm so glad. I'm here's glad what we'll do, out. too. We'll go ahead and in the show notes, we'll we'll create a Spotify playlist uh, for, for these ten, these nine songs, I, I suppose. And um uh, and we'll put it up and, and we'll share this. And, and you know that you've got, you know, you got all holiday season to enjoy. And maybe even after the holidays, you'll think, you know what I need right now in this this world still affected by a pandemic and a rough presidential transition? I need Billy Coach Squire. Squire. <laughs> I need Billy Squire. <laughs> Keep telling stories. Merry Christmas. <laughs> Rock and Roll Bedtime Stories is a Story Guys production. The show is produced and edited by Brian Eichenberger. Get more stories, hear more podcasts, and book the guys for your conference or house party at wearethestoryguys.com. Copyright 2020. Boy, have we got stories productions. All rights reserved.